Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be a part of this here program, uh, I was going to start with the inflation news, but I just had something put on my radar that's actually far more important. Uh, And we got to talk about this in in, uh, along with the uh, baby formula shortage. I don't mean to scare you. I really don't. If you're a longtime listener of this program, you know I try not to be the fear monger who scares you. But, you know, yesterday my wife had her three month oncology scans. She, uh, the scans came out fine and no growth of the tumors. Uh, my wife's cancer, you can't get rid of the tumors in her lungs, but they can keep them from growing. They're all very small. There's just too many of them to count. But every three months, she has to go to a uh, oncology visit where they do a CT scan of her lungs and they do x-rays, among other things. The CT scan is important. Um, according to news reports today, they're only just now paying attention. They've been so obsessed with Elon Musk. We have one week, one week before the entire world's supply of contrast fluids disappears. I need to say that again. Again, not meant to scare you. We have one week left the global supply of contrast fluids used for CT scans. Hospitals around the world are beginning emergency protocols, according to the Pointer Institute, to uh, to to delay, to do um, curbs and supply and regulate the usage of and constrain the usage of to drag it out for a few more weeks when they think the supply can come back online. The problem is that uh, most global machines for CT scans are by General Electric GE scanners. And all of the fluids that those machines use to be able to detect and separate organs and other issues uh, is made in one factory. And that one factory is in Shanghai, China, and that factory has been shut down. And they had an excess supply. It has been used up, and there's a weak left for the entire world supply of the fluids used for CT scanners and MRIs. Uh, This is from the Pointer Institute. Hospitals are just now learning and are extremely concerned about the shortage of fluid they use to make CT scans and MRIs more readable. Uh, The shortage may last until June. For example, the University of Alabama at Birmingham Hospital sent out this alert saying it would begin ration the use of the dye and some electrical uh, elective surgeries will be delayed. KIRO-TV in Seattle reports on the effect the shortage was having on the University of Washington. The University of Washington Medical Center performs over 1,000 CT scans a week. The majority use the contrast, and the contrast is in short supply. The contrast shortage comes from production shutdowns at Shanghai, China-based factories operated by pharmaceutical company GE Healthcare. The plants were temporarily closed due to COVID-19 lockdowns ordered by the Chinese government. While the plants are reportedly at full production again, the shutdown has resulted in a shortage that will affect hospitals until July. 
Providence Swedish system, which include Olympia, Washington's Providence St. Peter Hospital, said its stores of contrast are at critical levels. GE provides 97% of its iodine-based contrast. About 60% of CT scans use a contrast agent, which is used to differentiate between organs and detect lesions. The same iodine contrast is used in other procedures, such as angiograms. It's usually administered intravenously. The shortage seems to have caught medical institutions off guard. General Electric controls the majority of the contrast market in the U.S. Hospitals that contract for a drug generally only use one supplier. Uh, Facilities are reopened, and GE anticipates an 80% reduction in supplies over the next six to eight weeks. Um, that's really bad. Uh, I, I'm, I'm looking at several doctors online who are experts of the field, and they say if if things go unchanged and the supply is not rationed, there is one week left before the entire world runs out of this iodine solution. However, they believe uh, with some surgeries, elective surgeries in particular, being canceled and other tests, uh, we'll be able to make it until July. Uh, but it will yet again put people into a position where elective surgeries have had to be postponed. Now, keep in mind, elective surgeries did not mean people said, well, I'm going to go have my appendix out today. No, elective surgery is surgeries that may be critical and necessary, but might have to be delayed. They're not emergency surgeries. Your life is not in danger so you can put it off for some time, even though it may be. So, for example, a mastectomy that is necessary is an elective surgery because you can schedule the date of the surgery in advance. Even though it's necessary to save your life, you can go a few weeks without having to have it and the cancer not spreading to a point of uh, critical impact. It's a um, it's a big issue. Um, and you gotta, you, you gotta, you gotta be mindful of the issue. Um, this is not good. This comes on the heels of the baby formula shortage. I've done some digging on this and th- there are a number of things that I got to say on this particular issue. And I want to start with something just practical for this political administration. Pete Buttigieg is the secretary of transportation. He's a gay man, and he and his spouse now have babies, new babies through a surrogate. You would think they would make him the point man on this issue. It's not like Buttigieg and, and his partner are breastfeeding. Maybe they're they've uh, the surrogate mom is providing the breast milk. I don't know. That, that, that would kind of be a weird thing for him to be the face of. But you would think that he, being the newest parent of the administration, would be more relatable than Joe Biden. The fact is this administration has dropped the ball across the board. Now, there are a lot of conservatives out there saying they're outraged that this country's government could fund a war in Ukraine but not deal with the baby formula shortage. There are some who say we should use the Defense Procurement Act. Uh, No disrespect intended, but you don't really know what you're talking about if you think you can use the Defense Procurement Act for baby formula. Uh, If you're a conservative in particular, but even progressives, that would be a stretch. That would be like giving the FDA the power to to avoid evictions, which this government did do until the Supreme Court said it was unconstitutional. 
Baby formula, may we may want to view it as a national security issue, but within the parameters of what defines national security, it's really not. It's a very bad situation, and the government should do something, but there's not a lot the government can do for a number of reasons. Uh, there are some things the government can do, and in fact, this administration potentially made the problem worse, but it really does have to do with contamination at a Sturgisville plant uh, owned by Abbott Labs. Abbott Labs makes the majority of baby formula in this country. This is from uh, back in February. Abbott is recalling baby formula produced at a Sturgisville, Michigan plant following reports that four infants in three states fell ill with bacterial infection. The company says it took the action after it became aware of four consumer complaints related to Chronobacter, Sakazaki, or Salmonella, uh, Newport, in infants who had consumed powdered formula. According to the Food and Drug Administration, three of the cases, including the death of a newborn, were linked to this bacteria. The recall applies to certain formulas under the Similac, Alimentum, and Elicare brands in which the first two digits of the container code are 22 or 37. Now, here's a larger problem, and this is where Joe Biden's FDA screwed up. A whistleblower warned the FDA about the formula plant months before the baby died. In a 34-page document sent to officials in October of last year, the whistleblower outlined allegations of lax cleaning practices, purposefully falsified records, and efforts by plant officials to keep the FDA from learning about serious issues related to the plant's own system for checking for bacteria in formula, among other things. The warning came weeks after health officials in Minnesota had already reported to both the FDA and the CDC that an infant in the state had been hospitalized with this rare but deadly bacteria after consuming formula from the same plant. Hard copies of the disclosure were sent via FedEx to senior food safety officials and other leaders at FDA. They included FDA's top official, then-acting Commissioner Janet Woodcock, Susan Mine, Director of the Center for Sued Safety and Applied Nutrition, Judy McMeekin, Associate Commissioner for Regulatory Affairs, and Catherine Hermson, Assistant Commissioner of the agency's Office of Criminal Investigations. In addition to the serious questions raised about Abbott Nutrition's food safety practices, revelations of an early whistleblower warning reinforced concerns about leadership and decision-making on food issues at the FDA. They knew about it in advance, and it took them months and months to do anything. They didn't even conduct an inspection until the end of December. On top of that... There is an employment shortage impacting these plants that make formula. They don't have enough workers. On top of that, people were hoarding it for some time. You know, baby formula does go bad over time. People were hoarding it during the pandemic. That made supplies low. Now, it depends. The good news is it really depends on where you are in the country. Unfortunately, a lot of people, it it has brought them to moments of, of panic where it does appear that uh, the percentage of baby formula around the country is out of stock. Uh, Retail stock has been rocky for months. You had the holiday shortages. Then you had the big recall. It's made it even worse. Uh, You're about a a 40% lack of supply. 
Now, as of April, the end of April, there were six states that had baby formula out-of-stock rates higher than 50%. Iowa, South Dakota, and North Dakota were at 50 to 51%. Missouri was at 52%. Texas was at 53%. Tennessee was at 54% short supply. I'm reading now from Helena Bodmiller-Evich. She is a senior food reporter for Politico. Not all data sets suggest outages this high. Uh, IRI Worldwide, which pulls information from retailers, found that the average in-stock rate is around 79% across the U.S., far below the 95% rate prior to the pandemic, however. The severity of the shortage appears to differ greatly based on where you live and where you shop. None of the macro data matters at all if you're a parent and you can't get what you need. It's beyond stressful and shouldn't be happening. Uh, we don't have good answers for why the infant formula supply chain was already strained before the recall in February. But it was tight labor, uh, tight supplies, tight labor, tight transportation supply chains and the like. And it's not a res- resilient supply chain. There are four companies, Abbott, Rickett, Binksiger, makes Infamil, Nestle makes Gerber, and Perigro, which makes store brands, control 89% of the U.S. market. This is probably something for antitrust markets to look at. This again from uh, this reporter, there's a real problem. The FDA has delayed uh, certification again. They've delayed it in part because Abbott Labs appears to have engaged in a cover-up to avoid being detected. There will undoubtedly be a lawsuit. But the FDA was slow to act to begin with and is now slow to act again. So there is a governmental problem there. The real problem here, though, is not that Biden has a lot of control over it, but that he will be the guy who gets blamed because the FDA screwed up. Abbott Labs absolutely tried to engage in a cover-up and four babies are dead. But the FDA was tipped off about it in October of last year and failed to act. And apparently, according to Molter reports, is now being slow to get things moving again in the right direction. There are all sorts of problems. The bottom line, though, is that there's a we're at about 79% capacity for baby formula of the nation, which is good. Tennessee, however, is at 52% of shortage. There's only about a, a 35% shortage in the country right now, 35 to 40% shortage. The problem, however, is at major department stores where most people get the formula because it's cheaper there, those are the places most likely to be out of it. And Americans, they don't care that 79% of Americans can find it when they're in the 30% or so that can't. Their babies are hungry. And this is a problem that government bureaucrats have, in fact, managed to bungle the recovery of. Hello, it is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, and yes, the phone lines are open, 877-973-7425. Now, listen, I got to say this, uh, and I don't want to aggravate anybody, but there are some stations that run the show on delay. It's the it's just necessary for they've got prior agreements with other shows. They wanted to take this show. They can't run it live right now because there's a, another show there. I get it. I'm just flattered they want me on. Uh, but I've gotten calls from people in those markets where the show is on delay. 
and they they call the office line and they leave upset voicemails that nobody's answering the phone. They're trying to call the show. They want to come on. Uh, I'm live noon to three Eastern time. And so if you call outside of noon to three Eastern time, you're not going to be, nobody's going to answer the phone. We, we've, we've gone off somewhere. I'm sorry. I'm probably on a golf course hitting balls badly into the woods. I'm going to get better at golf. I got to get my golf lesson scheduled. Now we got to move on to other things. Uh, energy is one of the really big issues that we're also having to deal with in this country right now. And this, this white house is unable and unwilling to do anything to expand domestic energy production. They are so committed to moving us to renewables, and yet they don't have the money for the government subsidies necessary to do it or the wholesale conversion we as a country would need that they're causing prices. I mentioned this somewhat yesterday. Jen Psaki and now Joe Biden have admitted that 65 to 70 percent of the inflation we are seeing comes because of energy prices. And they want to blame Vladimir Putin for that, except energy prices were going up before Putin. It's going up before Putin because Joe Biden was restricting fossil fuels in this country. It's just a reality. And you've got to understand the situation in this country that we need more fossil fuel production now. You're going to start seeing shortages at gas stations, not just formula, not just IV contrast dyes for CTs and MRIs. You're going to start seeing gas shortages in this country. Why? We're not producing enough. If the economy does start rolling again, we're going to get real high prices to discourage people from buying because of supply and demand. We don't, we've got plenty of supply we're not putting into the market, which actually artificially restricts the supply. And there's a very high demand still. Not enough people have battery-powered cars in this country. And then that puts a strain on the markets as well and a strain on the energy grid. Uh, the Biden administration wants to allocate several billion dollars to upgrade the energy infrastructure of the country, and Congress hadn't appropriated it because they know what's going to happen if we all go battery-powered cars. And by the way, there aren't enough batteries out there. There's a lithium shortage right now. So we can't do it. We need more gas, and we have the availability to do it. We have the controls and means to do it, and this administration won't do it. By the way, if you want all this data, I got it in my daily email. You can text the word data to 33777. Sign up for my daily email. You'll get my show prep in your inbox as the show starts. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877 877- Nine seven three seven four two five. Should you wish to be a part of the program, happy to have you. We have got to now talk about the inflation stuff. I was actually going to start out of the gate with this today, uh, but then the story broke about the shortage in uh, contrast IV contrast, which is is actually a really big deal and not getting any sort of attention. But now let's talk about uh, the data. Inflation has gone up. The spin from the White House and their their sycophants in the press is that, well, it didn't go up as much, but it still went up. Here's Fox Business. 
What can you tell us? 8.3%, which is hotter than expected. 8.3%. That's the year-over-year headline number. Core year-over-year. That strips out food and energy. That's 6.2%. The expectation, 6%. So, again, these year-over-year numbers are hotter than expected. And, and, and again, this is we're watching the market. uh, There goes the Dow. There goes the entire rally. Yeah. The Dow is actually up about 27 points right now as I'm talking. NASDAQ down over 100 points. S&P 500 down five points. Uh, Here is uh, Godspeed or Goodspeed from the Cato Institute. Look, I have a a couple initial reactions. One is there go real wages for the month of April. Uh, The second reaction is that there were some transitory factors that were were actually bringing this number down. I'm looking at used cars, which shaved four tenths, which were down four tenths of a percentage point. There are some base effects uh, that weighed down on inflation last month. Uh, But I think that it's it's a mistake to be looking at a lot of individual components because the bottom line is this is a broadening inflation problem. When you look at any survey of businesses, any survey of households, expectations have risen. And I think that we're seeing a real broadening of the inflationary pressure, particularly with rent up 0.6 and owner equivalent rent up 0.5. Those are big, big components of core CPI. It is, of course. I mean, the housing prices and rental prices in this country are not going well, y'all. It's not going well at all. Uh, here's Larry Kudlow. Two points here. Number one, on this Putin debate, I mean, I hate the blame game, but on the Putin debate. So you know what? Take energy out of the CPI, mm-hmm. which I wouldn't do because that's what people pay, but take it out. Guess what? The inflation rate is still six and a half percent. That's three times the Fed's two percent target. In other words, all these price hikes are so widespread. It's not about Vladimir Putin. And by the way, it's not about the pandemic uh, anymore. Uh, second so, point. So, hey, hey, there's Larry, no, there's let, no, let, let, let me just add. You can go. blame. No, I wanted to address it. Okay. You can blame MAGA. You can blame Trump. Mm-hmm. I don't know what MAGA is. OK, I mean, I, I served three years as NEC director. Maybe I'm MAGA. Uh, I'm certainly uh, loyal to President Trump and his policies. But Trump's not on the ballot. Yeah. And MAGA's not on the ballot. Well, they'd like and him to be. Actually, Rick Scott's plan, I mean, Rick's coming on our show at 4 p.m. I want everyone to watch it because I'm going to raise these important issues. But Rick Scott's not on the ballot. Rick Scott's plan's not on the legislative docket. So no. they're creating all these no, straw horses. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't. But, to but, me, but, that's but, a futile effort. But- yeah, yeah, listen, uh, there's a real problem that the Democrats have, and it's that we're not actually playing chess. I saw a uh, political commentator make this point, Amy Walter from the Cook Political Report. She's pretty good at what she does, and she says this election is not about chess. It's not about moving pieces on the board, anticipating the other side's move. This is a checkers election. It's very simple. Now, I got to tell you, I'm I'm not a chess player, never have been. Um, I've never really liked the game, never really learned it. My 13-year-old, I beat him the first couple of times he started playing, so he would stop asking me, and he's now gotten so good, I can't beat him. Uh, and maybe if I, my wife actually started reading books on chess and, and has gotten good at it. I just, I don't, I don't even like, I don't like Monopoly. I don't like chess. Uh, there are some games I like. Chess is not one of them. I do like checkers. It's an easier game. I don't have to think much about it. I can just have fun on the board. This is a this is a checkers election. It is one thing 
It is not a multi-move, anticipate and advance your, your opponent's move strategy. This is the economy stupid. That's it. The Democrats have massive inflation problems. I mean, this is just this is the headline report from CNBC. Inflation barreled ahead at 8.3% in April from a year ago, remaining near 40-year highs. Uh, the estimate was 8.1%, so it's over the estimate. Core consumer price index, excluding food and energy, was higher than expected, rising to 6.2%. Shelter costs rose their fastest since 1991, and while there are signs other prices may begin to go down, shelter is not one of them. Home prices and rental prices are not going down anytime soon. It doesn't help when you have Janet Yellen out there claiming that abortion, getting rid of abortion is bad for the economy. That's like Confederates say, well, if you get rid of the slave industry, it's going to hurt us. You get rid of the, the ability to kill kids, it's going to, we have a labor shortage in the country. We need more people. How tone deaf. And the problem is that the Democrats have all of these things that they want along the way. And if they get them, it's going to make matters worse. Deficit spending isn't helping. Driving up national debt. I mean, just think about the things the Democrats want right now. They want the Build Back Better plan with massive spending, government subsidies for the climate, uh, green energy, subsidies for battery-powered cars. They want the student loan forgiveness plan. And this is kind of the most bizarre disconnect of the Democrats right now. Their policies, if you listen to them, they only help rich white people. They're going to subsidize your ability to buy a battery-powered car. Y'all, I don't know if you realize this or not, but battery-powered cars tend to be more expensive than a gas-powered car. There's not a huge used car market for battery-powered cars either. You can get a cheap fossil fuel-burning gas-powered car used you can't do that with a battery-powered car. And there's not enough lithium right now. There's a battery component shortage in the country and around the world. You're not going to make it happen. If you subsidize all this, prices are going to go up, and that's going to keep people out of the market. And then there's the student loan industry. You're going to tell the plumbers, truck drivers, electricians, mechanics, painters, stay-at-home moms of the world, that they need to bail out the most fortunate among us, those with college degrees, who the unemployment rate there is 2%. You're gonna, we're going to make the non-college educated bail out the college educated white kids who vote for Elizabeth Warren who want to drive up taxes on everybody. That's not a compelling plan. And then their solution is a wealth tax. Y'all, the wealth tax is unconstitutional. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand the wealth tax is unconstitutional, particularly in these times. You know how the wealth tax works? It's a tax on unrealized gains. A lot of these major 
billionaires, the Elon Musks, the Jeff Bezoses, the Bill Gateses of the world. Their wealth is actually tied to ownership in stock. And what the Democrats say is that, uh, well, let's say Elon Musk. Elon Musk is worth $200 billion. So we should tax that wealth. But if Tesla's stock collapses, now keep in mind, he's not selling the stock. If Elon Musk sells the stock, he pays taxes. It's It's a number in the stock market. Elon Musk has $200 billion, except it's tied to stock in a company. If he sells a lot of stock, that number goes down. The number goes up and down on a daily basis. One day he's worth $200 billion. The next day he's worth $150 billion. If you tax him on the $200 billion, does he get a refund when he's now worth only $150 billion? When at no time has he sold any stock to actually give himself money? You know, if you leave your money in the stock, you may be, it may say you're worth that amount of money, but you can't get it. You can't go spend it. Some of the super wealthy structure loans and they borrow money based on their net worth. And at some point, they got to have other income to pay back that, that loan or they got to sell stock to pay it. But it's imaginary money until they've sold their stock. It's a number based on something that you can't control, and the Democrats want to tax that. But since you can't control it, they can't really tax you for it, even though they think they can. It's unconstitutional. It's obviously unconstitutional because it's an imaginary number until the moment you sell your stock. But that's how they want to fund these things. They want to make it all about punish the wealthy, punish the wealthy. You know who the wealthy are? Democrats. Do you really think they're going to go through with this? No, of course not. And then there's this story today in Politico. I, I find Katie Porter, a progressive member of Congress, super annoying. She's been uh, flailing about online the last few days. She's a, a Democrat, single mother of three. But let me just let me just read you this. Only after Katie Porter put bacon in her cart at her local grocery store recently did she notice its price had spiked to $9.99 a pound. Reluctantly, she put the package back. Now, I got to tell you, just going to start with that opening. My son is a highly, highly picky eater. He eats precisely every morning four pieces of bacon. Not three and not five, four pieces of bacon. At lunch at school every day, he eats five pieces of bacon. He eats four Pringles. He eats a handful of Cheez-Its and one Oreo every day. Every day. My wife is a crack dealer except instead of crack, it's bacon drippings. We cook so much bacon in our house on a weekly basis because our son, again, every morning, four pieces of bacon, and every day at lunch, five pieces of bacon. We cook so much bacon in our house that we just actually took, I think, 13 jars of bacon drippings to my in-laws. My in-laws oversee a local nonprofit soup kitchen, and they use the bacon drippings in the cooking. And 
we supply them with the bacon drippings. We cook a lot of bacon. The fact that the Politico is running the story about Katie Porter only just realized what the cost of a pound of bacon is, that in and of itself is nuts. She gave an emotional speech behind closed doors to the House Democratic Caucus about how it's been inflation's been impacting her family. And she says it seems like it was the first time they realized it. In fact, the Democratic polling has said, well, it's not really affecting our polling. We're not seeing it in the polling. How have you not? Maybe you're not asking the right questions, and I agree with her on that. They're not asking the right questions. But I'm just baffled that a, a single mother of three is only just now realizing how expensive bacon's gotten. It's gotten expensive way before now. So, too, is the price of a gallon of milk. I do the grocery shopping in my house. My wife is happy to use Instant Cart. Uh, and for some things, you can use Instant Cart if you've got the money to be able to cover the cost of Instant Cart, but they're still not getting you the best produce and the best meat slice. you got to go do that yourself. So I do all the grocery shopping in our house. And I'm telling you, bacon is expensive. And, uh, you know, if you're not careful, some bacon producers now, instead of giving you a 16-ounce a package, a full pound, have cut it. And then what uh, Smithfield does, which is the bacon we usually get, they're giving you a larger package of bacon that's more than 16 ounces. But if you do the math between what you get for the, the one-pound pack and then the Smith meal, it, it's, it's you're actually not really saving that much money. They're trying to come up with new ways to, to make it look like it's the same stuff at the same price, but it keeps getting more expensive and you keep getting less and less. And it's a real problem, and I can't believe the Democrats are only just now figuring it out. You know, one of the companies that has been impacted by the supply chain uh, is Eden Pure, and you can get the Eden Pure Thunderstore from them. I've I've uh, endorsed other products of theirs, but the supply chain is just bonkers right now, even for them. But thankfully, they've got the Eden Pure Thunderstorms in stock, and they work, and you can get them. They're air purifiers. They eliminate odors that don't mask odors, and you can get three of them for less than $200. I mean, this is is they've got a good deal going right now, given this product and its price point. You get three of them for less than $200. You're saving $200, and you get free shipping. What you do is you go to EdenPureDeals.com, and you put in the discount code ERIC3, E-R-I-C-K-3, on the front page of the website, EdenPureDeals.com. You'll see a box pop up and says, what's your discount code? You put in ERIC3. And you'll get three of these for less than $200. You're saving $200. You get free shipping. I'm going to New York City. New York City tonight. Got a meeting in the morning up there. I won't be here tomorrow. I'll be back on Friday. But I've got my Eden Pure Thunderstorm in my hotel suitcase or in my suitcase. I keep it with me. I travel with it because if I get to a hotel and it stinks, I can run the Eden Pure Thunderstorm and it takes care of the odors. EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is ERIC3, E-R-I-C-K, and then the number three, no space. This hour of the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. Wherever you are nationwide, they can help your business grow. If you need access to big loans, $750,000 or more, reach out to them. They might be able to help you get to yes, where banks are telling you no. FirstLibertyGA.com. Let me go to the phones. Uh, Bill, I'm going to go to you first. Welcome. How are you? Eric, I'm doing great. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, so I was... So I was listening to you, and you were talking about Elon Musk and his unrealized wealth, and it clicked with me that I pay taxes every year on my unrealized wealth of the house of the value of my house. Mm-hmm. I bought my house for one hundred thirty grand twenty years ago, and now I'm paying taxes on a four hundred thousand dollars house. Yep, is that also unconstitutional? 
uh, for the federal government, you don't pay a federal tax on it, do you? No. Yeah. So <laughs> the Constitution says Congress is uh, only allowed to lay and collect taxes, duties, imposts, and excises uh, without uh, capitation. Uh, and then we had to amend the Constitution to get to an income tax. Uh, so a wealth tax under the Constitution can't be applied at the federal government level uh, because the Constitution doesn't contemplate uh, unrealized taxes based on the value of assets, uh, which is why at the federal level okay. it's unconstitutional. So yeah, uh, at the state I, I level, guess, yeah. Well, I guess, but I guess it's. I mean, it's but it's it's still unconstitutional, right? I mean, honestly, they're they're taxing all of us on something that money we've never realized. I mean, theoretically, if I was unemployed, they could tax me out of my own house. That's true. Or something that's not... Um, that is true, except in the common law over time, uh, even going back to, to before the American um, Constitutional Republic was around, uh, taxes on land were a thing because it was real and something you could touch. Your ownership in a company isn't necessarily that way, and also you pay that tax when you uh, surrender the value of, of the ownership by selling the stock, or you get a dividend. Uh, but we've also got to keep in mind there's a federalism issue here. Uh, between what the federal government is allowed to tax and what states are allowed to tax. And historically and constitutionally, Congress is not allowed to tax unrealized capital. Uh, that's something states can tax. The Congress, under the Constitution, is prohibited from doing so, which is why a wealth tax would be unconstitutional. It's also not quite like a, a property tax in that the property is realized. You may not sell it, but you hold it and own it unlike a stock certificate in a company that goes up and down on a daily basis, it's an unstable asset because it goes up and down on a daily basis where property taxes is based on the value of something you're going to hold for a while. So there are some big differences there, but really it's a constitutional issue.